Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. The Gideons, they're an association of Christian business and professional men and their wives. They serve in over 200 countries, distributing and placing God's word. They're over uh, in those countries, we're witnessing and placing scriptures in the pathways and byways and into the hands of people. Last year, our total came to 2.5, listen, billion scriptures placed since 1899. That's a lot of God's word going out. We claim this verse as the verse that we go by, Isaiah 55:11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing whereinto I have sent it. Today, norm, different than most uh, Gideon messages where I take the different places that we go and place and distribute scriptures, I took it from this verse. Sometimes when a scripture is handed to a person, sometimes when it's placed in a motel room or by, in a uh, nightstand by in a hospital. That's not where the work always happens. Sometimes God gets a hold of that word and it goes forth. Today's testimonies are looking at those situations. Mary Kay Beard. She was in, found herself in the Jefferson County Jail in Birmingham, Alabama. There was a Gideon Bible left in that room from the former inmate. She saw the Bible and she tucked it and put it under her mattress because she didn't want to deal with it. You see, after a Bible has been placed in a motel room, a hotel room, it stays there for about six to seven years. After that, we gather them up. We take the, the outward cover off of them because they're hard cardboard. And I don't know, inmates get the idea they can take a few of those, put them together and have something look like a gun. So we get rid of that and we make a soft cover on it and place it and distribute it into the prisons. Well, that was what was in Mary Kay's room. You know, when she stopped and said, uh, I looked, started looking at that Bible because I realized my days ahead were going to be incarcerated. And you don't have a whole lot to look forward to. So she pulled out that Bible and began to thumb through it, flipping here, there, and yarn. And then her, the eyes of Ezekiel 11, 19 through 20, as you see on the screen. And I shall give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That they may walk in my statutes and keep in mind ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Mary Kay, realizing, states that when you realize that you're facing the rest of your life behind bars, there's nothing to lose. Later one night, in the quietness and the cover of darkness, she slipped off of her bed, went to her knees on that concrete floor, and gave her heart to Jesus. Heather, I said I wasn't going to do this again. <laughs> He gets, she realized for the first time she had been saved. When you read these testimonies and you go through them, 
God begins to touch your heart, realizing what he does with the scripture and how he uses it. Anybody know Mary Kate Beard? Shame on you. Ted, you do, don't you? Mary Kay looked around that prison and God put upon her heart. And maybe you've participated in what she has done. Mary Kay Beard started Angel Tree Ministry. That ministry has been a blessing not only to prisoners, but especially to the family members of those incarcerated. So when you see Angel Tree, maybe you participated, maybe you'll have an opportunity to do, take the time to do that. Because God has put it upon her heart to do it, and it is quite a blessing. You know, God can take an old recycled Bible and make use of it. Pastor Dean Matterin. You remember me telling you about the 2.5 billion scriptures that were distributed and placed all over the world? But Bill Matterin, Matterin said it came down to only one testament for him. And that one testament, or that one Bible, it changed his life. Not only do we place the Bibles, but we also go to the prisons and we hand in hand testaments to the prisoners and give a witness to them. See, Dean grew up in a broken home. His mother left with his other siblings and left him along with his dad, who he defined this way. A union card carrying Democrat and atheist and a drunk. And that's what I had to live with. At the age of 11, that same year, he joined a gang and was arrested for stealing guns, firearms, in the fifth grade. And by the four he entered the sixth grade, he had stolen a car, and that made him a ward of the state. At age 14, he stabbed a young man and ended up in reform school and spent the next years of his high school behind bars. Dean feels like talking about his time in the reform school and the time that he served in the military in the jungles of Vietnam are a waste of time. Both experiences left him embittered, unhappy, and an addict to drugs, alcohol, and pornography. Upon returning from Vietnam to a country who despised him because he served in a war that was unpopular, he turned to every known cult, anti-American group that he could find in California. All but the Bible and the church. Disillusioned with what he was finding, he stole some credit cards and was hitchhiking across the country. He ran across a young lady and talked her into dropping out of college and following him to Egypt. He figured a country's been existing for 3,000 years, they must have truth. So he was planning to catch a freighter out of uh, Miami and head for Egypt. There's a problem, though, is that when, I don't know if you know this, and be careful, if you cross out of Alabama into Florida, you're trespassing. I don't know if you knew that, but they crossed the line and got arrested for trespassing. So they put him in jail. Oh, he was in a segregated jail, by the way. They segregated the Yankees from the Southerners. Being a smoker, didn't have any money or any cigarettes on him, he found the little butts that were left by people that smoked the cigarette, rolled the tobacco out of it till he got enough to roll up a cigarette, and he had some pages out of some books that he was using, and that's what he smoked. Well, 
that's a pretty hard smoke. I don't know if you've ever smoked or known anything about it. That's a tough smoke. Then he found this book that had real thin pages in it. He went, oh man, this is life. Well, as he smoked his way through Leviticus, he read the book of John. (laughs) It's funny what people will do. You know, at this moment, when uh, Dean is giving his testimony, he stops and he chokes up. You'll see me probably do that. I said I wasn't going to do it, but it it happens because God touches. He said it was the first time he had held a Bible in his hands. As he read John, he put the face of his hands on his father, on on the father of God, on God. He had a hard time accepting the love of Jesus because of what he went through with his father. But he could understand and grasp sin. He even bowed his head and asked God to forgive him for his sins and to help him. He knew he was messed up, needed God's forgiveness. Then he wrote a letter to the arresting sheriff and told him what happened. The sheriff was a deacon in the church and released him, along with a young lady. As they come together and were headed back to where they ditched their uh, backpacks with their drugs in it on the wayside, uh, Dean looked over and he says, you know, we don't have to go to Egypt to find absolute truth. There's a God who had a son. And he's absolute truth. She began to weep. And she said, I didn't know what I was going to tell you when we showed up in court, but I found a Bible in my room. And I gave my heart to Jesus. Dean goes on to say, what else could I do? I married her. Dean said someone in the church somewhere spent money to buy a Bible that spent seven years in a motel room and was then sentenced to jail where he found it. And it changed his life. But the story doesn't just stop there with those two. He has raised his five children in a Christian home, all serving the Lord, along with their grandchildren. He led his brother to the Lord as a Christian pastor. He led his sister to the Lord, and he had been working on his sister for several years who just recently gave her heart. Dean's wife really wanted him to become a Gideon but he said I backslid and became a pastor. Brother Willie so we know you're a backslidden uh, Gideon to just become a pastor. Dean says my desire in heaven is to look up the person who purchased the Bible and to introduce that person to all all who come to Christ. Because of that one Bible. Not just his family. But those who have come to Christ. Through the efforts as an. As he serves in a church. His second desire. Is to find the Gideon that placed that Bible. In that prison cell. I want to take him and kiss his feet. Because of that effort. And that Bible. His children. And his grandchildren will never have to go through what he went through to learn the hard way that Jesus loves you. And James, that's a beautiful song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
two Bibles for a motel room. God took, or three Bibles, purpose for a motel room. God took them after their witness in a motel room and sent them to jail to reach three people seeing the truth. Mary Beth and his wife. This other one is quite a story in and of itself. Todd Keogh grew up in Southern California and spent a lot of time at the beaches of Lifeguard in Huntington Beach. Stephen, I guess you know where that is. Probably been there. Probably surfed a few times, whatever. But uh, on that beach, there was a homeless man, maybe you knew Walter when you were there, and who seemed to be things that are good. Todd had been, spent seven years in that area and had gotten to know Walter during those last they looked out for each other. Time is way that would cause him to, or need for him to move to North, North in California. As he was making preparations for his last two weeks, he didn't see Walter, and he goes, something must have happened. Didn't know where Walter was. On his last day, as he was going to heard someone calling his name, and here come Walter on a bicycle without a, a seat on, riding up. And uh, Todd looked at him and said, where have you been? He says, oh, I've been to a tent revival. And he says, you know, there were some men out there, weird men. They were dressed in suits, I guess. Uh, Stephen, people dressed in California kind of weird, aren't they? <laughs> so he says, and they were his testaments. He said, they, first I thought, maybe, but then I heard they were Gideons. They gave me two testaments. They said, one's for me and the other's for me to give away to someone. Walter had decided that Todd was the person to whom he would give that testament. Inside the front cover, Walter had written where we said in the front part of that Bible, in that testament, where you put your name. And usually I tell people when I'm giving one out and talking to them, I said, you put your name here, that means this belongs to you. So he had written Todd. And just Todd. In moving, he had put the testament in a shoebox, kind of forgot about it, and his life went on. He began, God began to rest his walk with the Lord. And he struggled with his relationship. And it challenged him to combine his two passions. The struggle that he had in his walk with the Lord. The other was his running. Well, Todd had a path that he would run, and he went up a few hills and wound up at the very top of a hill. And at the top of that hill... Out in the clear, away from everything, was one lonely tree, and there was a bench around it. And that's where Todd would run up, take his testament, and read it. He did this about three times a week. He'd take that testament, when he got up there, he'd take the testament, and he'd read it. He'd date it, the date, and, then and prayed, and as God spoke to him, he wrote those things that he heard from God in the margins, and then highlighted. So he took the highlighter in the Bible, instead of having to carry it when he ran, he had it in a little plastic bag, and buried it under the bench so it would be there every time he came up. Well, Todd was called into the ministry. And on his last day before he left, moving up to Sacramento, he decided he'd make that last run, go up and get the testament. And he got up there, and as he looked, there was this hole under the bench. The testament's gone. And he's looking, and he had this frustration with him. He says, was my testament. That was mine. You see, it wasn't just a testament. It wasn't just a journal. 
It was his encounter with God. And he said, then it was the overwhelming feeling that God had another use for that testament. So he made his move. And as he got involved in his ministry, he knew the importance of having God's word and reading. He had several versions of the Bible. Ten years. Ten years later, he gets a phone call. Hey, are you, you Todd Keogh? Remember, the only name in that Bible was Todd. Are you Todd Keogh? He said, yeah. He said, did you lose a Bible? He says, no. He's looking around. He said, no. He says, I have this testament. He says, I got it from my dad. He said, it didn't say his first thought. Well, the young man that called him, his name was Hector. He went and said, you don't know me. My name And I got it from my dad, who's an inmate. And uh, he said, he got it from another inmate in prison. He said, this inmate came in. He had that little testament with him. He witnessed to dad. Dad came to the Lord. His dad started a Bible study in the prison, leading people to the Lord. Well, Hector followed his uh, dad's footsteps, and sure enough, he goes into prison. But he goes in to the same prison and gets into the same Bible study that his dad's leading. Comes to know Jesus. Gives his heart to the Lord. Well, when he was released, his dad gave him the testament. And he was then calling to tell him the story about the testament. At first... Hector called him and says, do you want the testament back? And at first he was like, yeah, I'd like to have the testament back. It's got all the stuff I've written in it and all this, that, and the other. And then he went on. He says, you know, my dad wrote his name under your name, and I wrote my name under my dad's. And he, looked, he stopped and he says, no, go ahead and keep it. God has more plans. Four years later, he gets another call. He says, did you lose a testament? An orange one? He says, what? What do you mean? Where'd you get it? How'd you come about it? What is this? And the guy went on to tell him, he says, I received this from a friend of mine who was under the ministry of a pastor in Southern California by the name of Hector. And he gave it to me, and he says, I'm using it to teach people about Jesus. You know, in all of this, we can't, this, we, you can't make up these kind of stories. Only God can do this type of thing and take a testament that was given to uh, a homeless man. And the story goes, a testament was purchased. A Gideon gave two to a homeless person. The homeless person, by the way, Walter had cleaned up and entered back to society, one to Todd. Todd encountered God using the testament. The testament is stolen. It resurfaces ten years later, having been in jail, a Bible study, a father and a son. And then it resurfaces four years later for one who was ministered to by a convict turned pastor. It's amazing what God does. When we look at that verse, my, my word shall not return void. And then to look at what he does, make sure it happens. Next one. This is the testimony that in 
that me on looking for testimonies of where God took a Gideon scripture that was put or placed into somebody's somewhere else and the path that it took and all of the people that were affected by it. Pretty close and personal. And you'll see in a minute. Some of you will know better. A young man who grew up in middle America is a respected family, in a respected family, lived in a luxurious home. Inside the walls of that house was a very family. The young man's dead, involved in smuggling young women and drugs, attempts to pull his son into his way of life. The young man's name was Bill. Bill at 19 was sent from Belize to Tampa and get it police and meet up with his dad's world connections. Several thousand dollars in he squandered most of the money on the wild living. When I talked to Bill, he said, you just don't give several thousand dollars to a 19-year-old and expect him to, to do what he's told to do with it. So Bill squandered the money in wild living. He's broke and needing to raise money. He gets a job in and building new businesses across the Keys. So he goes down and gets a job working a, as a crane operator because he grew up in construction. There he finds an old van to sleep in. In that van, under the mattress, of the bed he was sleeping on, there was a little lump. He reaches in and he pulls out a Gideon Testament. We don't know how it got there. Bill doesn't know how it got there, who the van belonged to or anything. Bill takes the Testament. Curious, he begins to read, starting in Matthew. He says, you know, this Jesus I heard about, what I heard or thought. He's a pretty cool dude. And he got impressed reading Matthew and reading about Jesus. He got tired of the lifestyle down in the Keys. Came back to Tampa. Well, you know, in life sometimes when people are converted, they don't have a Philip to come along like the Ethiopian eunuch and show him and tell him about Jesus and how to live. No one was telling so he's coming back to Tampa. Bard's a bouncer because he had a reputation of being a guy. Bar clean down. He's finding peace. The only time he found peace was when he went home and took that testament and began to read. But wouldn't you know it, God appears in mysterious ways. One night or one day. A beautiful brunette comes walking into the bar. He was awestruck. Turns out that she came from a Christian home, but she left it all behind because she was fed up with the legalism from the church. So the two of them get together, one leading the other, and they soon got married. Bill and Kathy Craver are the founders 
of D Dream Center International. And if that says anything to you, wait for the rest of the story. Let me tie these two things together in this way. There's a Mayan connection here with Dream Center International out of Tampa. There was a Mayan girl that was sent to Bible school in Tijuana, educated, and she was sent back to the state of Yucatan. As she goes there, they lose track of her. They don't know what's happened. And this happens because he didn't have money. He got a financial gift out of the clear blue. Enough to pay for it. So he goes and gets a friend who is fluent in Spanish Bible school. And they take off. They land in Merido, or Merido, however you want to pronounce it. I'm not sure. The state of Yucatan. And they travel from there to Tisamine. And they start asking about Juanita Severa. Well, no one seemed to know that their last contact was a pastor in a Mesa family who was an on fire family for Christ. He says, I've heard of her, but I've not heard anything from her for several years. But pointed her, pointed them in the direction of her village and where she was living. And they headed out that way. Now, yeah, what they show you in the movies of, as a bus with all the chickens and goats and everything in it, that's what they traveled on. And it was several hours like that in the heat, no air and all the people and the goats and the chickens and all this in that bus. And they finally arrive to the tribe of Chan. And when we were in Tissamine or, or traveling out to uh, Rio Lagartos, you saw Chan everywhere. Well, when they arrived there, they got off the bus and they said, does anybody know a Juanita Vera? And this beautiful young lady walks out of one of the huts and says, I'm Juanita. Let me step back for just a second. Bill says when they got there, it was like they had stepped back a thousand years in time. The culture, the, uh, the huts that they lived in, the grass huts and everything, was the way people lived a thousand years ago. And Stephen, you were, you were uh, telling you know, you can't take a basketball, we're going to be out in the jungle. Well, at that point in time, it probably was out in the jungle. So, from that standpoint, the, uh, uh, she said they began to ask her, we lost, the people that took you to school lost touch with you. And she says, well, I came back, Bible in hand, and the only person that came to Lord, the Lord over this, those years has been my mother. Until one night, my sister, a few days ago, as we were praying for her there in the hut, that night, and we fell asleep from exhaustion. Early in the morning, the sister wakes up and says, Come, can somebody get me a glass of water, some water? I am thirsty. Well, you should Jesus Christ. That's the Mayan connection. Let's get the Dream Center in to pull this and plan it. Bill and Kathy, through their church, and they had pastored 15, 20 years. 
as a primary pastor of a church. They were doing mission actions into the Mayan uh, area of the Yucatan, the state of Yucatan, and they were ministering there. But they also had a mission in the Tampa Bay area, in one of those areas where you just don't go unless you live there. It was tough. It was rough. And uh, if you got out alive, it was a miracle just to get out. Well, there was a mission going on. How many of you saw the Jesus Revolution movie? If you haven't, please do. There is what you saw in the Jesus Revolution. They weren't having church. They were just being church. Worshiping, praising God. And that was what was going on. Word of mouth spread. And people from not only in the Tampa Bay area or the Tampa area or from all over the world, they were coming to find out what is happening there. Well, this started in a little yellow house. That the area called Home Center. And Bill's where they spouses and, and were married to the people involved in it. That's how God works. So, I got something here. I'm good. Uh, so, there's your connection. Did you know that, Stephen? Dream Center International. That's the sign that is at the headquarters in Tissimee, where we were. And the minister started looking for a young lady by the name of Juanita. They made the connection. And then a, a mission house in the Tampa Bay area in a house Dream Center. Now you know the rest of the story. This dad that tried to get Bill involved in smuggling and all this other came to the Lord before he passed away. God has a lot that he does that we know nothing about or fully understand. This morning, I asked three things. Prayer, number one. Nothing happens in God's kingdom unless it's bathed in prayer. We pray for the ministry because we're part of it. We need your prayers too. The other is, if you're not, maybe you should be a part of this ministry. As Bill called it, he says, it's kind of like I'm a misfit. Four walls being a pastor of a church is not what I was called to be. I was called to be an evangelist. And the Gideons are like evangelists, laymen, just going out, talking about Jesus, placing scriptures where they need to be placed. The other is purpose scriptures. I don't ask you to give money, just buy the scriptures and let us take them and put them where they need to be. And we're going to basket in a little bit, but a couple of things first. If you received the 
as you come in the door, there was another a second bulletin that you may have received on there. If you didn't come prepared with a check or cash or whatever this morning, there's a place where you can do it by credit card if you want to use that to do it. And there's the other is that we talk about using the Gideon card account in the foyer. And Hebrews 11.4 says, talks of Abel, being dead, yet he speaketh. And sometimes, what, many times of what I do, there's, I give a card that's called an in memory. It's to celebrate a home going of a loved one to the family saying, one, two, five, ten, twenty, whatever scriptures you purchase are going out as a testimony. As I told the first service, sometimes it's the, uh, when we stand before Christ and at the judgment seat and he's, it's the award ceremony, and as you come up, then he's going to ask all those that you brought into the kingdom to come stand behind you. They touched a bill. Or married Beth. Okay. Now, these are out there. They're out there all year long. There's ones for remembering and honor, thinking of you, and a thank you. What blessing it is to receive a card. The cards are free, but you should purchase a Bible to go with it. Don't just send the card. They're not for that. It's to have a scripture placed in that way. To Pastor Nathan, thank you for allowing me to share my heart this morning. I'm going to ask James and the worship team to come back up to provide music, background, ushers, if you'll come forward to pass the offering plates, the baskets, for anyone who wants to purchase scriptures. And as they do and they come, let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity this morning to be here. I thank you, dear God, for your love for us. I thank you for the hearts of these people who have come to know your son is their Lord and Savior. I pray hearts are touched this morning, God, to be a part of this ministry in a giving way to provide scriptures that maybe another ministry is born, whether it's Angel Tree or uh, Dream Center International or Outreach Minister or whatever. But God bless it. Bless them for giving. And may they, their lives be enriched by doing so. And yet, God, when we stand before you, and we're given an account. We can look at all those by our efforts that have come into your kingdom. For this, we give you praise, honor, and glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jim, thank you so much for your work that you do with the Gideons and for sharing your heart with us today. Thank you so much. The power of testimonies. Amen. I mean, that's just amazing. I'm going to read this benediction over you from 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and we'll be dismissed. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a great week, church family. We love you very much.